Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Simply Christ. Mark Shepard here with you. I hope you're doing great. Hope your summer's been doing well. Lots of traveling my way, uh, dealing with some family issues, of course. Uh, as many of you know, that um, my mother passed away some time back, trying to help my father, and uh, traveling overseas to help uh, some family and some relatives over there as well. But I would like to uh, get back into it and start discussing today about developing a spiritual mindset. Now, we're going to be looking at this in a series of podcasts. Uh, this is too long for one podcast. I'd like to try to keep them a little shorter, at, le at least no more than 30 minutes. But these are very important in developing our Christian walk. We are called to live by the Spirit. The question is, are we living by the Spirit? Do we have an attitude of living by the Spirit? Why is it that having a spiritual mindset is important? That's because that's what it's all about. Spiritual living demands discipleship. We have to have a spiritual worldview. That's what we're called to all through the New Testament, all even through the Old Testament. We see a desire from God to want us to live by the Spirit. Jesus comes in. He gives us the Spirit, as we read in the book of John, and the Spirit is active throughout all of the epistles. Unfortunately, it seems at times the Spirit really isn't working in our lives. Well, why is that? Maybe it's because we have a misconception of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Or is it because our lives are not fully dedicated to the Spirit? Let's begin with a prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything that you have given us. I ask that these words are going to help change. God, may the words we say here reflect who you are and bring spiritual growth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many confuse spiritual development with some type of intellectual development. We see that through a study about uh, maybe how ancient civilizations lived in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We study Jewish history. We, we get involved with Greek and Hebrew and start learning different topics of what we find in the New Testament, uh, different topics of justification, sanctification, and so forth. Now, don't misunderstand me. Those things are very important, and we want to ensure and continue looking at those things. Those things do have an impact on our life. However, our spiritual development is far from that. And you've heard me say this before, that we cannot expect an intellectual pursuit to produce spiritual fruit. That's not how it works. That would mean that intellectual people or people who have a higher IQ than others have a better chance of becoming spiritual than those who don't. And I see that quite often as a former minister, a former pastor, a former preacher. I would see this so often to where people would say, oh, this person is learned. They're dedicated toward studying the scripture. They have a PhD. They have a master's of divinity. They are very smart. They know Jewish language. And therefore, they must be a very deeply spiritual person. That is not how spirituality comes. Spirituality comes through our spirits identifying with the Spirit of God, that we are His children, and we live in this different world. So how do we do this? What does this have to do with any type of spiritual development? What does this have to do with my life? It has everything to do with our lives. We have to understand that spiritual living is what we are called to do. So what is spiritual living? Well, spiritual living is very simply this. It's surrendering of oneself to adopt the life, the outlook, 
and the mind of Jesus Christ. I think I need to repeat that again. The surrendering of oneself to adopt the life, outlook, and the mind of Jesus Christ. Wow, that is a huge order, isn't it? That is a call from God, from the Spirit, from the deepest outreaches of the cosmos that you and I are called to have the mind, the outlook, and the life of Christ. Now that we know that, stop for a second. Look at your life. Have we surrendered ourselves? Do we have the life of Christ? Do we have the outlook of Christ? Do we have the mind of Christ? When we put it that way, it kind of reveals weaknesses in ourselves, doesn't it? When I look at this, every day I've got to ask myself, am I living the life of Christ? Yeah, not always. Do I have the outlook of Christ? (laughs) Many times, no. Do I have the mind of Christ? No. I'm trying. We're trying to develop it. And it's a process. It's good. We're not going to immediately have it. We are going to have to have it developed. We are going to have to develop the mind, the outlook, and the life of Christ. So how do we do that? How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we live the life of Christ? How do we pursue the mind of Christ? What can I do to become like Christ? Well, we have to look at his life. It's not about moral living. It's about spiritual living, and the morals will come from that, okay? Number one, we have to accept that there is another realm. We just have to. We often live with this idea of a spiritual realm that is far from what Scripture even describes. Because it's quite strange. Many Christians don't even accept such a realm. We think of it just in terms of angels and demons. And every so often it may pop up in life, but nine times out of ten it doesn't. So that means that if we were to look at the spiritual realm we would look at it and we'd say, okay, all of my life, let's say 60 years old and I'm looking at all this, maybe a handful of maybe 1% is spiritually driven. That is not true. It should be 100% spiritually driven if we have the right outlook of this other realm. See, it includes angels and demons and all those kinds of things. However, it is much more than that. It is much deeper than that. It involves so much more because we are called and have been invited to live in that realm, not just to know that it exists, but to live in it, to experience it, to see it, to dwell in it. And I'm not talking about seeing angels or demons or those kind of things. I'm talking about that realm that we can't see with the, and experience with the five senses. We want to live in it all the time. I mean, the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of imagery. In fact, if you look at Psalms chapter 82, where it says Elohim speaks to the other Elohim, I'll I'll let you go back and look at that. Job chapter 38, verse 7, where it talks, and the sons of God were, and I'm paraphrasing, the sons of God were watching when he created the earth, uh, the earth, the universe. And then Genesis chapter 6, of course, we talk about the sons of uh, God came down to the daughters of men and And there's all kinds of different topics about that on the internet I'm sure you can find. But we have to understand there is a realm, and we're called to live in that realm. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Because that conflict isn't to be with flesh and blood, but rather with the powers and with the rulers and with the ones in charge of this world of darkness and with evil spirits which are under the heavens. 
Paul is talking about this and then goes on talking about the armor that we're supposed to put on, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, all those different elements of the uniform we're supposed to put on. Why? Because, as he says, that conflict isn't with flesh and blood, but rather with the powers, with the rulers, and with the ones in charge of this world of darkness, and with the evil spirits which are under the heavens. We are living every single second in a spiritual world. Unfortunately, we only look at things in a physical sense. The street, the car, the house, the the sidewalk, the grocery store, the person next to us, the television, whatever is in front of us, the computer, this microphone. That's how we experience the world. And we shape our life around those external things. But Jesus is calling us, no, we need to shape our life around the invisible things, the things we can't see. Understanding that there is a conflict, not with the flesh and blood, but with powers and with rulers and the ones in charge of the world of darkness. How do they manifest themselves? In situations that we find ourselves in. They manifest themselves in people that we have difficulty with. If we understand the difficulties we have with people is often coming from a spiritual sense and not just that person in front of you, but there's an evil force behind it making that happen. We then can start learning how to deal with it, but we have to accept that world. We have to accept that the difficulties we we face are from those evil forces, but there's also a goodness that we walk in to fight those evil forces. That's why we put the helmet of salvation to protect our mind. We put the breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart, the things, the treasures, the things that we hold dear to us. We put on the belt of truth, all put together where we have everything together and cinched together with truth, and we fight with the Word of God. Yes, we have the Bible. That's the Word of God, of course. But what he's talking about there is the message from the Spirit, those rhemas. All those things come from a spiritual worldview, from a spiritual source. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And he feels even you who were dead in your sins and in your stupidity. I like that. This is from the Aramaic scriptures, by the way. And these things in which you walked in or walked from the first, you were in them according to the secular life of this world and according to the will of the ruler of the authority of the air and of the spirit which is diligent in the children of disobedience. Now, look at that last, but what he says here. In verse 2, and these things in which you walked from the first, you walked in them according to the secular life. We try to combine the secular and the spiritual and put it together, and we that's where our problem is. If we're living in the secular world, we're going to have difficulties. But we are called to live in the spiritual world, not the world of the intellect, but the world of the spiritual. And yes, intellectualism and so forth are great but we win the battles in the spiritual life. Understand and accept there is another realm. Jesus was a purely spiritual being because he lived in those things. He experienced that. Let me read a verse here for you. This is in Hebrews chapter 5. Now, I'm going to start off in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. And the way that it's broken down here in the Aramaic scriptures, sometimes they will break apart and make another verse out of it, okay? So so if you're looking at it in maybe in a different translation, look around those areas and you will find it. Thus, even the anointed one did not glorify his own soul to be the priest's chief, but rather he who spoke unto him, Son, I beget you today. 
as also in another place it is spoken, you are a priest forever in the pattern of Melchizedek. Also, while clothed in the flesh, being in prayer and supplications, crying with mighty tears, was drawing near unto him who was able to make him alive from death, and he was heard. And he was a good son, and while he is the good son, it was from fear and suffering that he was sustained, learning obedience. Thus matured, he became unto all who obey him the cause of eternal life. That is a mind-blowing verse to me. We could talk about this for the next 20 years, just this verse right here. But I want you to go back and I want to look again. You're going to find it maybe in a different verse in, a, in the translation you're using. In verse 8, and I'll leave the, the link here in, to the Aramaic scripture so if you can go back and look at it. And it says, and while he was the good son, he's talk, they're talking about Jesus here, it was from fear and suffering that he was sustained. Learning obedience. What? Jesus learning obedience? Hmm. Thus matured. What? Stop that again. Thus matured? Wait a minute. I thought... Jesus was fully matured, but that's not what the scripture says here. It says, thus matured, he became unto all who obey him the cause of eternal life. There's a system and a development phase, the development phase of the spiritual life. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into this, this section here because there's a lot of questions that you may have. I want you to research those for yourself. I want you to research what is being said in those verses, and it might change the way that you view the entire concept of the spiritual life and even the New Testament. So go back and look at that. But I want us to get out of that. There is a process that Christ had. We have to have the same process. We have to mature. We have to become whole. We have to become obedient. We need to develop the mind of Christ and mature, grow on to maturity. So, number one, again, accept that there is a spiritual realm, and we have to live in that realm and start transitioning from that out of this world and into that realm. And I'm telling you, it is so difficult to do. It takes a long time. It's, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and go, well, I'm living in the spiritual realm now. It's a process. Because we have to look, we have to search, but that's okay. God's walking with you. He's working with you. It's not like you have to hurry up and reach a certain milestone and God says, okay, you made it. Now you're, now you're saved. You reached this certain level of maturity. No, continue to grow in it, okay? Number two, know who you are. And that ties in with the one before, because now that we're living in this new type of reality, in this new way of thinking, we have to know who we are. We are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, We shall make men in our image, according to our form, and they shall rule among the fish of the sea, and among the birds of the air, and among the cattle, and among all animals of the earth, and among all creepers that creep on the earth. We are made in the image of God. Let that sink in for a second. You and I, made in the image of God. That's a wake-up call to me. When I read that, it's like, am, if I'm an image of, if I've been created in the image of God, am I an imager of God? Am I really reflecting God? I'm not God, but am I his image? Oh, wow. You know, if I was to look in 
to a mirror, would I reflect God? That right there is one that'll keep you up at night because we know that we don't. And that is why we need to have this understanding of the spiritual world, this reality, because then if we know who we are, we have to understand that our purpose is to be like God on earth. Not God on earth, but like God on earth. Remember, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to image God. So understand our purpose is to be like God on earth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with uncovered faces, behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, and unto that image we are transformed from glory to glory, as which is the Lord, the Spirit. We look into a mirror, and unto that image we're being transformed more and more into the likeness of our Creator, of God. We look at it and we say, no, we're not. But the more that we look into it and the more that we live, well, the more we live spiritually minded, the mind of Christ, the more that we surrender and give our life, our outlook, our mind, uh, everything to God, to Jesus, to become like him, then we start seeing ourselves going from glory unto more glory and even into more glory. That's what's so amazing about the Christian life is a transformation. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. We're being made into his image, and that's what we want to do. So accept that there's another realm and know who you are. Knowing who we are also means that we are made into the children of God. John chapter 1 talks about that those who believe in him and those who are going to want to live this life have now the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of God. Let that sink in. Let that transform us into knowing that we're becoming sons and daughters of God. I can't express these things enough. They have to be understood more spiritually speaking because they're spiritual words. It's an understanding and a transformation. That is who we are becoming. The next one, rethink sin. And now that we know these things about there's a different reality in who we are, we are sons and daughters of God. We're being transformed into the image of God. We're reflecting who God is. We now have to rethink sin. You know, when I first became a Christian, I repented, said, okay, I don't want to do these things. I tried my hardest and failed many times. And you know, the more I started understanding the spiritual life and the spiritual realm and who I'm supposed to be, I look back and I think to myself, did I really repent? But now I think I really need to rethink sin. Do I really hate sin? So now I look at sin in a different way and in a different depth than what I did when I, than when I first became a Christian. I now, I should hate sin. I should despise sin. Every instance of sin, anything that's, that is against God, I should look at that and despise it and hate it. Not just kind of brush it off like, oh, okay, well, I'll just let it go by. Yeah, it's just, you know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And, you know, um, yeah, I watch this show and it has bad words. But And the tone is a bad, even just the entire message of the show is bad. But it's funny and I'll just let it slip by. And, no, that's not what we should do. We shouldn't laugh at sin. We shouldn't have anything to do with it because... God doesn't laugh at it. And if I'm being made into the image of God, I need to rethink sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, 
for the sorrow that is on account of God produces repentance of the soul that doesn't turn back and returns us unto life. Yet the sorrow of the world, it produces death. See, godly sorrow is understanding that there are impacts in the spiritual world, that sin impacts the spiritual life. And when we understand that every sin that we do has an impact in the spiritual world, not just on our life, but in that realm, that unseen realm where those battles are taking place, we need to have that godly sorrow. When we understand that the things that I do in secret have an impact in that invisible world, then I should start having godly sorrow. See, often we think that the sins we do in secret, the things that we watch, the things that we do, the the perversions that we're involved with that maybe nobody sees, and we think to ourselves, it's only between God and me. And yes, in a way, it's between God and us and the sin it is. However, I'm a firm believer that there are great impacts in the spiritual world, in the unseen world that defies anything, this physical world that's restricted only to this planet in the physical sense, but in that eternal world where reality exists, where all the spiritual beings live. It has an impact. See, this is my opinion, but I tend to think that those things that we do, that it's very visible in the spiritual realm, and it does harm to, to God. And what I mean by does harm to God, it ruins his name. It makes him look bad in that spiritual world. Have a godly sorrow. See, earthly sorrow is a little bit different. See, earthly sorrow is more the fear of the consequences. And many Christians have that. They don't necessarily have a godly sorrow, but they have this earthly sorrow. The earthly sorrow is just a fear of the consequence. And if we live with a fear of the consequences, then it doesn't bring anything but death and sorrow. It brings brings pain. It brings harm to us. It brings difficulties. But a godly sorrow doesn't do that. Christians are not called to live with an earthly sorrow about the fear of the consequences. And yes, we should have fear of consequences. But more importantly, it should be because of the harm that's done in the spiritual realm. If we live strictly on the fear of the consequences, our whole idea of God is going to be warped because we're going to see God with a big stick coming after us, and we're not going to see it in the sense of what harm it does for him. It's much the same way in a relationship with a father or a mother. We should not want to do things that harm our parents because out of fear of the consequences. We should not want to do them because of the relationship and the damage of the relationship. See, the child who is always fearful, my dad's going to get me, my dad's going to get me, and their entire life is based on that, then it's really not a godly sorrow. It's an earthly sorrow, fear of the consequences. I'm going to be beaten or translated, I'm going to hell. I better not do that. I'm going to hell. Instead, the spiritually minded man or woman looks at it and says, I don't want to do that because I'm, I'm an imager of God and it's ruining the image of God. It hurts my father. And when we live in that realm, then we can overcome sin so much easier because we're doing it not out of the fear of consequences, but out of the fear or the fear of the harm that it does to our father's name and the hurt that it causes our father. That is how the mature man or woman of God views it and approaches it. Remember, repentance is a turning of the mind, not of the behavior. This is not about behavior modification. This is about a way of thinking. We have to look at sin and be disgusted by it not constantly having this love-hate relationship with it. 
but a disgust of sin. And when we have that, the behavior will change. It's a realization of what sin has done to us and what it does to others, how it harms others, how it harms our relationships with not only other people and with God, but even ourselves, how we view ourselves. engaging in true repentance of the mind. So to recap real quickly here, accept that there is another realm. Yes, there's another realm. That's the realm we live and we operate on. And what we see in the physical realm are just manifestations of the things that are in the spiritual realm. It doesn't mean that the physical things are evil in themselves. No, just means that our true world is in the spiritual way of living. And it's not reserved for when we die and after we die, we go, it's now. We experience that true joy and peace now. Number two, know who we are. We're imagers of God. We're sons and daughters of God. And because of that, number three, rethink sin. Now that we know who we are in this world that we live in and what's taking place, we now start to rethink sin in a different way. It's not out of the fear of the consequences, but out of the godly sorrow, the harm that it does to our father and the rest of our brothers and sisters in those unseen realms. Let's end with a prayer. God, we thank you for all the things you give us in the spiritual life. Father, help us to see and experience that realm that you want us to live in. Help us to be like Christ. Have us, help us to have this mindset of wanting to have the life, the mindset, the, the worldview, the, the mind of Jesus. Help us to have that. God, I pray for everybody that they receive these things and put them into their life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please share this with your friends. And again, we will see you on the next podcast where we continue our teaching about developing the spiritual mindset, the mind of Christ, and living in the image of who Jesus is.